Well, I can't imagine a better song uh, to set up um, uh, the, this next moment in the service because I wasn't supposed to be up here. Pastor Keith was supposed to be back. He said in his email, he's like, I'm so excited to preach on Sunday. And then you're like, hey, <laughs> that's, why I got, that's why I came back. I don't want the youth pastor. So no, anyways, so my name is Matt Ritchie. I am the student pastor here and also the next-gen pastor. And uh, as you've heard already this morning, Pastor Keith and his house dealing with some COVID, not too severe. So I think that's um, uh, still the case. So that's good news. And, uh, but he did call me yesterday. He's like, yeah, I think you're gonna have to preach tomorrow. So I, uh, I, I will say this. So I felt like I kind of stumbled my way through the, th- through the first service. Um, if I find, if you think, man, he's reading, he's kind of just tied to his notes, it's because a lot of this is what Pastor Keith had already written down, okay? So like, I've kind of taken a lot of his stuff, I've added a few things along the way, but um, uh, so this kind of a hybrid effort, some of his stuff, and then um, of course, I'm here this morning, but it is good to be with you. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. And if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to turn to Acts 2. And this is kind of part one of a two-part message and um, uh, it's entitled Revival's Blueprint. And we kind of understand the idea of blueprints, right? So like um, plans laid for a building or construction. And by the way, I'm just curious, how many of you were here when we remodeled this room? Does anybody remember that? Okay. Um, that number is shrinking a little bit because we have grown, I think we ran about three or 400 people when we started that process. And we have uh, grown so much since then. But uh, if you can imagine this, the back of the sanctuary wall was right down the center aisle and the platform faced that way. And uh, Jared Scott and I played basketball right over here where you guys are sitting. And he dunked on me a few times, I think. But anyway, no, he didn't, okay. Um, that's not how I remember it. Anyways, but um, <laughs> anyways, so when we did that project though, we saw plans and we like, uh, and I'm not an architect or an engineer or anything, and I don't know what I'm looking at, but um, it, it looked like well-organized, well-planned out. And by the way, like we did that whole process so we could like continue to grow and stay in one service. That was the why we did that. <laughs> now we have four <laughs> and like other places. So anyways, God has done some amazing work here and we give all the credit and glory to him. And that's kind of the theme of this message is that we can plan, we can prepare, we can organize, we can draw some things out, but we cannot put God in a box, okay? We cannot plan how he's going to move, but we can prepare for it, okay? And we need to be ready. And uh, the disciples were gathered uh, 10 days after the ascension. So back in chapter one of, uh, of Acts, Jason, Pastor Jason was here last week and he talked about waiting and um, the disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven. He gave them some final instructions. This is about 10 days after that. And in chapter two of the book of Acts in verse six, we're gonna pick up our reading there. And we're talking about, again, revival. And again, um, we cannot plan a revival. Now, how many of you have this picture in your head of what revival is? Does anybody know what a revival meeting would be? Anybody know what a revival meeting? Okay, we have like four people, okay? 
That's okay. So when I was a kid, I, would, I was growing up, my dad was a pastor, and we would get an invite from another church, and they'd say, we're going to have revival at our church, and uh, it's going to be at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. We're going to meet Wednesday night, Thursday night. And nobody said this, but like sometimes there was two preachers, and the better one was always on Friday night. And, uh, and, and Sunday night, okay? And so if you got stuck preaching the Sunday morning or like the Thursday night, you were kind of like the second best, okay? So like nobody talked about that. But um, I also remember as a kid th- knowing like everybody kind of understood that Tuesday night was sort of like, eh, it's sort of like, it's not really the good night of revival, but Sunday night, you better be there Sunday night. That's gonna be the good night of revival. And I was like, can we really plan that? You know, like, because revival is not an event. A revival is the coming and the presence of the Holy Spirit on our life. And that's what we're talking about today. And so Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and here's what happens in Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And I actually um, didn't realize this or remember it from my study back in Bible college, but this was right during a feast um, where the, the Israelites would come together and they would celebrate the harvest. They would thank God for what had happened and they would uh, ask for blessing on the harvest, the wheat harvest that was to come. And the reason it's called Pentecost is because it's 50 days after the Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified. So we, we have some timeline here. This is about 50 days after Jesus was crucified. When the day of Pentecost, so 50 days after Passover had arrived, they were all together celebrating this feast. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now don't miss this. What Jesus promised would happen, he said, I'm going to send you a helper, a comforter. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. And this is exactly what happened. His promise is fulfilled. Now, I don't think we should be so concerned about like flaming tongues of fire, like hovering over their heads or, or the wind or, or so speaking in tongues, um, speaking in other languages, all of that stuff. But what I want us to focus on this morning is that not just something supernatural came, but someone supernatural came. And he invaded their hearts and he invaded their minds and he changed them forever. Now, um, Pastor Keith is a little bit older than me, but I can identify with this, okay? So how many of you remember the Little Tykes car? Anybody remember the Little Tykes car, okay? Um, I was, I remember at four and five years old, this is like all I wanted. And apparently Pastor Keith felt the same way. And apparently in the same same way, we never got it, okay? Like our parents never saw the value of this, okay? So him and I have a similar experience where our friends had these, but we never had it. And so if you can imagine like three or four boys trying to cram their way into that and fighting over it and it's tipping over. And I always noticed that like, it looks so cool, but once you got in it, the wheels never turned right, okay? And uh, so anyways, um, now compare that little tyke's car to this. (laughs) That's kind of how it is like, 
the little text card is kind of us without the Holy Spirit, and this is kind of us with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to give us too much credit. All the credit goes to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But um, this is a pretty impressive machine, and, and I'm using this to illustrate the difference when Christ comes in, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, there is a difference. Now, this is the part of the message where I'm going to read his notes verbatim because I don't understand what they mean. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you get this. But this, this, is, this is about this car. This car has an LT2 6.2 naturally aspirated V8 engine, right? producing, <laughs> he didn't put the word engine, <laughs> producing some serious horsepower, 495 to be exact. And thanks to that horsepower, this car is able to go from zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds with a top speed of 194 miles per hour. Now, does that make sense to some, I get the miles per hour thing, okay? I don't get the... <laughs> LT2, I don't know what that means. Aspirated, I don't know. Anyways, but the point I think here is there's a lot of power in this engine and that directly impacts the performance of the vehicle. And in the same way, without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're sort of like that little Tykes car. But with the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to do some amazing things. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he said, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will do greater things than I. We can do greater things than Jesus? I don't get that either, but that's what he said to his disciples. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be able to do some amazing things. Now, the power that he's talking about, um, in fact, Jesus said it this way in the previous chapter in verse eight, if you wanna turn there quickly, but he simply says, but you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you will be my witnesses. And uh, the Greek word for power here is the word dunamis, which is the same Greek word that describes the supernatural miracles of Jesus. So this is not just man-made power. This is not horsepower. This is not strength. This is not muscles. This is not physical power. This is something that's supernatural. And sometimes that can make me a little nervous. I'm like, mm. Are things gonna get a little bit weird? <laughs> and you know what? There is something about the Holy Spirit that is a mystery. And he pushes us outside of our comfort zones and he leads us to places that we would probably never previously think to go or even do. But can we all agree that this is the kind of power that the church needs today? Is this the kind of power that pastors need today? Is this the kind of power that Christians need today? As individuals, do we need a supernatural power outside of our own? If, if, it's, if it hasn't become clear yet over the last 24 months, I hope it's clear today that we need God in a fresh and new way. And the great thing about the event of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came is that it's not, it wasn't confined to just that Jewish festival. The Holy Spirit has been, been, been poured out for all of us and, it, and he continues to meet with us and he is here and present and available to us today. Now, this power isn't just for the sake of our benefit or just for an emotional high or experience. It's for a purpose. It's for a mission. 
Again, the words of Jesus, once the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses, connecting it back to the great commission. We are to go. In fact, Luke goes on to tell a story that there were 120 people that went around the city, began to tell of the mighty works of God and Jerusalem was filled with all these visitors with all these, from all these different countries. And they, they began to hear this message in their own language. And it was because the Holy Spirit made the difference. Verse 11, in fact, in, uh, says this, we hear them telling it in our own language and the mighty works of God. They saw the works of God. They saw the glory of God because people had become the witnesses of God. Peter, uh, actually, we're gonna read some of his message, but he, if you can imagine, he preaches one of the greatest messages recorded in scripture. And just a month and a half previous to this, he was scared uh, he was running for his life. In fact, when people asked him if he knew who Jesus was, he said no. He denied the fact that he even knew him. And here he is a month and a half later, preaching and teaching boldly about the, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done. In fact, let's pick up our reading there in verse 17 of Acts chapter two. It says, and, and this is the words of Peter, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and your daughters, and, and they shall prophesy, and your young men so sh shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He goes on to clearly articulate that Jesus is the Messiah, the one the Jews had been waiting for for hundreds of years, for centuries. And that he was not just a good guy who died for a cause. He wasn't just a martyr, but he was the son of God who rose from the dead, proving his deity. And then he poured out, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on those who asked, who were available and believed in him. God did the work. And then Peter, and, and the people were so convicted by the words of Peter that they said, what, what shall we do then? And he replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are carried off, everyone whom the, God, the Lord our God calls to himself. And then it goes on to say that there were about 3000 souls added to their number that day. It's pretty amazing. And so we have... God the Father, we have the work of Jesus the Son through his death on the cross being the final payment for our sin. And then we have a, a third distinct person that is poured out in the, in the form of a Holy Spirit upon us. I'm gonna kind of drill down on this at the end, but think about it logically with me for just for a second. Jesus commands his people to go, but imagine if Jesus was still here in the flesh we'd all just like follow him around, like, right? You know, like we just go where he, wherever he was, we wouldn't spread across the earth. We wouldn't go and fulfill the mission. And so he poured out his spirit. It's almost, it's almost like he had a way or devised a way, if you can put it that way, so that he could be with us no matter where we were are to go. It makes complete sense to me in that way. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So he can always be with us. Now we're gonna get into the, the other reasons as well, but I wanna just pause here and say that there is, uh, there, there is some things we need to think about when it comes to a move of the Holy Spirit. 
we need to be intentional about it. But as I said before, um, we cannot plan how it's gonna happen, okay? Now we have ministries here. We have a discipleship ministry under Will and Wendy Sprunt. They just had a men's uh, uh, discipleship conference yesterday. There's a women's discipleship meeting next Saturday. And so we have plans here. We have Grace Kids, we have students, we have young adults, we have life groups, we have all these things. We have Sunday morning services. But just go with me to youth group for a second. Um, I don't know what you imagine our youth group is like, but it's probably what you might expect. But just imagine with me that I plan the greatest youth group night of all time, okay? Like we have like pizza, of course. And uh, <laughs> like maybe like there's a roller coaster or like the most epic, like anyways, games of some kind. And then we have like the greatest sermon and like we have the greatest worship and all of that stuff. But imagine that we do it all without asking God for help. I heard Francis Chan put it like this. He's like, as youth pastors, we're trying to raise students, young people from death to life and hitting them with a dodgeball ain't gonna make that happen, okay? Although I'd like to try it once in a while with certain, with certain, with just certain kids. Anyways, um, I haven't tried it, just so you know. Um, but the point being, like we can do all this programming and all this planning and all this strategy and all this ministry and it's all, and, and, it, and it's all good. And I'm not saying there's not value in that. It's part of the preparation, but that by itself does not trick. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a formula you can just put in place and then boom, you get the Holy Spirit or you get the work of God, the power of God. And again, back to that little Tykes picture, apart from God, we can do nothing. And so we have to, I think it's healthy for us to examine that there is sort of, um, there's sort of a cycle. There's a pattern to revival. Revival is always preceded by spiritual apathy or lifelessness. The results of apathy aren't always immediately seen, but eventually they will become evident. This is maybe a lack of evangelism or concern for lost people, or maybe there's other ways it manifests itself, but revival, a tangible outpouring of God's presence on his church and on his people is always preceded by a season of apathy. Concern, that's where we are. Maybe not as individuals so much, but I worry about our culture and I, and, and I look at our world and I look at kind of the big C church. I wonder if we're there. I don't know, just my personal thoughts. But I also know that revival um, has never come without being preceded by an extraordinary uh, seeking after God. And what I also see, this is the good side of that coin, I do see pockets of people extraordinarily pursuing and praying for the presence of God, not only on themselves, but a pouring out of God's Holy Spirit on his church. And, and, and God always hears the prayers for revival. And his response is visitation. His response is that his royal presence comes down. Then there's an undeniable move of the Holy Spirit that it, it, it witnesses to the heart of the believer. He transforms us, he leads us into truth and so on. And there are maybe seasons in which we experience an undeniable move of God. Now, I know that God is with us all the time. He is ever present, omniscient, 
um, omnipresent. He is here with us all the time. I rest in that. But there is something to a special outpouring of God's presence. I've sensed that a few times. And one of the times I'll share with you, I was at a conference that uh, I think I mentioned Francis Chan already, but he was speaking. It was the same conference that he actually shared that little picture with us. And um, at the end of his message, I don't remember everything he said, but I, I remember looking across the room and there was just this moment where the weight of God was just heavy. It was, it was almost tangible. And the effect on the room, there was nobody laughing. There was nobody joking. There was nobody like distracting. In fact, the entire room, if you can imagine this, 3,000 people, heads down, eyes closed, just in, in reverence to God. And I looked down the road, I was attending this conference, about 12 other people from the Boise area and um, we're all different churches and stuff and they all, we all had the same posture. And none of us wanted to move. We didn't wanna leave. And I could kind of tell like the worship team, they were supposed to close, but they didn't know what to do. They were like, what do we do? Like, do we... Do we do what we're, we're gonna play a song, but, and so they just stood there and, um, and I'm sort of one of those people that I get, I get that nervous awkwardness when something's not going according to plan, right? Didn't feel that way. I can promise you nobody wanted to move. And finally, I, it probably took 15 or 20 minutes. They finally um, had some sort of closing song or something. And I remember being disappointed because I didn't want to leave. And, and we all talked about it later. It was like, none of us wanted to leave that moment because the special presence of God was there. I desire that. And that may not be a reality for every single day, but I desire the power. I can remember walking out of there more committed to the mission, the call of the church than ever before. We need moments like that to encourage us and inspire us. And I do believe that when we ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we ask for a fresh anointing that God will visit his people. And that results in us becoming a witness to God. How can we help but go out and share what has happened and help but share what he has done? And when we do that, and when people sense that it's not just some, some story or fairy tale or, or too good to be true kind of thing, when they see that it is true and we, we witness to its reality, I believe it results in a transformed community, a transformed world. Now, we're gonna talk more about that next week and hopefully, hopefully, Pastor Keith is back to share with you on that. But I wanted to remind you, I wanted to just recap this, this pattern and, and I, I don't know if the guys put it on the screen yet. Okay, so it starts with apathy. That leads to a seeking to God. Once we seek God, there's an undeniable move of God. We become witnesses for him and that results in a transformed community. However, um, if we're caught in the first stage, how do we get out of it? So I think it starts by recognizing what, what causes spiritual apathy in the first place. And so um, there's some warnings that um, Pastor Keith and I would like to give to you today about things that can lead to spiritual apathy. And the first is this, and there's a place to write these down, I believe in your notes, is the first is simply wrong belief, a lack of understanding or believing something that's simply not true. And one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit does not come down in a particular church or on a particular group of people is because, um, 
because they're different um, than, than others. They do not hold to or support um, the basic doctrines of a church and so, or of scripture. And so um, if, if we're not experiencing the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit in our life, it may be because we've put our faith or trust in something that's simply not true. But there is something to the idea that G, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all different kinds of denominations, all different kinds of churches, all different kinds of people from different kinds of backgrounds. In fact, this is something I was talking with somebody about recently. I, the way I was raised, um, sadly, um, the implication, not from my parents, thank goodness, but from other friends in the school I went to, it was kind of like, we're the only Christians in the world. And everybody else is wrong. Heaven's gonna be really, really tiny, okay? There's gonna be maybe 75 of us, okay? <laughs> and, um, and when I began to meet people who had different theological opinions or, or views than I did, but yet they knew Jesus undeniably, I was like, that began to open my mind a little. I was like, wait, they don't agree with me on this thing, but yet they still know Jesus. So maybe this thing isn't as important as I thought it was. Now, there are some, some tenets of scripture that we can never give up. And that's, let me just give you a short list here. If we want, the, if we want to combat our spiritual, athlete, we, our, our spiritual apathy, we must hold true to the basic doctrines of scripture, the authority of scripture itself. It is true, it's completely true. It is trustworthy and it's our authority. In fact, the way we say it around here is, um, God's word trumps my feelings. Doesn't matter how I feel about a passage. Um, if there's confusion or doubt, I, I, I need to explore that, okay? And I'm not saying that we, we don't work through some of the things of scripture um, because there's parts of scripture that I don't completely understand myself, but I believe that it's 100% true and it is my authority. And I hope it's yours as well. I, I trust in the sovereignty of God. The idea that God is personal. He's infinite yet personal and he's holy and he demands a righteous behavior on our part. We are called to obedience. Now, what is clear is that we fall short of that law. We cannot live perfectly, but yet his grace comes in at that time. But I don't get to just like pray a single prayer and walk away and just live however I want. I'm called to obedience. Uh, we also believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God. He's not just a good man or a lower angel of some kind, but he is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity and he himself came to earth. He became a real human being, not giving up his deity, 100% God, 100% man, not 50% each, okay? He didn't give up any of his deity, but he became fully human and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross so that by his death, he paid for our sins, there is a righteous record for us because of his perfect life. He also poured out the Holy Spirit. We believe in the third person of the Trinity whose job it is to come and apply the work of Christ to our life. The Father plans, the Son executes, the Holy Spirit applies the work. We also believe in faith. It is the only way that we are justified. A person can receive the spirit from the father through faith. And again, it's the only way we are made right. It's not based on my works. It's not based on my performance, not my background, not my ethnicity, my wealth, my, my status. Nothing of that contributes to my salvation. It is faith alone. And by the way, that makes everything fair. Aren't you glad, okay? There is one way to the father. And there's probably a few more I could mention, but there are core doctrines of scripture that we do not 
give up. We hold to them. We, to put it this way, we would die on those hills. But then there are some secondary things that we fight about that don't matter that much. <laughs> and that kind of leads me um, to uh, another one. There's, a, um, there's some, some things that can get us off of balance. We can hold up certain pieces of doctrine. Maybe we're focused on the end times and we should study the end times. There's a lot of in scripture about like what the end of time will look like. But it, we can't let that skew our view of, of the rest of scripture. Or maybe we're caught up on predestination or, or other things. Sadly, in some of my church experience, it was like the, the, the carpet, okay? Like the color of the carpet in the church. And it was like, we're gonna like hold fast. We're gonna, be, we're gonna die on this hill. There's some things that just, they don't matter as much. And there are some things even in scripture that we don't have to agree 100% on but there are, there are some things that we should. And we need to know what those things are. Um, that's probably a different sermon for a different time, but my point is we can get our, our focus into wrong doctrines and, and, we, and it can lead to spiritual apathy. We can also get caught up in being performance-based. And this is probably something that I have struggled with in my own life where I've worried too much about what other people thought of me or, or just trying to be righteous in my own, in my own uh, actions enough to kind of tip the, the scale in my favor. Um, but again, as I've already mentioned, faith is the, is the only way that we can be made right with God. It's nothing that I do but we can get caught up in, in our performance and, it can, and this can lead to us being sensitive to criticism or insecurity or comparing ourselves to others. And spiritually dead churches are sadly full of people who gossip, backbiting, fighting, and they're filled with people who cannot be told they're wrong because they're afraid that if they've failed or, or sinned in any way, then it, questions, then it brings into question their whole standing of God. They're basing their salvation or their, their righteousness on something that cannot be um, what the foundation of that should be. And so if it's questioned, it falls apart. So we have to have our faith grounded in the right things. Another point is um, we can have a lot of talking with no action. We can have all the spiritual discussions in the world, which is good practice. We can have Bible studies. Again, very, very good, very, very healthy. But there's a reason James wrote, faith without works is dead. We can have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't use it, if we're not witnesses for Christ, if we're not going out and there's not an act of obedience along with our faith, then James goes so far as to say that that faith is dead. And I'm gonna hopefully clarify that at the end with an illustration, but let's, let's not be a church that's just caught up with our knowledge. Let's be a, a church that is both for correct doctrine and good knowledge of God deep understanding of him, but let's also go out and do what it calls us to do. Another uh, thing that can lead to apathy, apathy is just being caught up in um, what I would call emotionalism, emotionalism. And there is a time and place for healthy emotion. Um, and I shared this in the first service, I'm gonna tell my brother, he cheered for a football team scoring a touchdown one time so ecstatically that he, he popped his knee out, okay? So like, <laughs> I've never done that, okay? But I do get excited about some things. There's probably some things that excite me that don't excite you, like 
fly fishing, I love fly fishing, catching a trout. If you're like, oh my word, that's so boring, okay? I like golf, watching golf, more correctly, falling asleep watching golf. That's one of my favorite things to do in the world, okay? You don't get excited about that stuff probably. And, but I do. And so there's things that I get excited, but there, and there is an emotional response to when Jesus Christ comes and when his Holy Spirit is poured out on us as I referenced in that conference, there was an emotional response to what was happening, but it wasn't just, um, it wasn't manufactured emotion. I don't know if that makes sense. It wasn't fake. It was a genuine response to something that was real. There was nothing manufactured to try to create something that wasn't there. And sometimes we can get so caught up in, well, if I didn't feel anything, then it must not have happened. We also need to rest on the promises of God too, right? I'll say it this way, and this is something I've said before, is that our choices lead, our feelings will follow. I didn't say that. Somebody much smarter than me said that, but I'm stealing it. Um, our choices lead, so if we prepare well, if we study well, if we pursue God well, there will be an emotional response, but, it won't, but what has happened won't be based on the emotion of that moment. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, let me wrap up um, with this. I believe that um, not only is there a pattern to revival, there's a preparation uh, for revival, but I also believe that revival is personal. Revival is personal. And um, I, I debated how to close. And so I hope this is okay that I use this picture because I know that it might, um, might be hard for some of you to listen to depending on what has happened in your family over the last uh, few months. But we've heard a lot of talk over the last couple years about this device called a ventilator. Pastor Tony shared um, just recently in the service about how he lost two family members. And um, I've heard uh, other stories like that. Maybe some of you have seen someone on a ventilator that you know and love. And I don't wanna get into all the, the opinions on, on this whole topic, but if you would imagine with me, I think this will help clarify what I'm trying to say this morning. But imagine with me that you walk into a hospital room and someone is there perfectly healthy, except they cannot breathe on their own. And so they're hooked up to a mechanical ventilator that's breathing for them. They can function, they can talk. And by the way, I don't even know if this is medically possible, but just go with me, okay? Um, but maybe they're watching TV or they're sitting there in their bed, they're comfortable. But you're there, maybe you make some small talk. And then um, let's just imagine Jesus walks in, okay? And he tells the patient, I would like to heal you so that you no longer have to breathe on this ventilator. And maybe through a spoken word or a simple touch and through their consent, something supernatural surges from him into their body and their lungs and their body just kind of lift and begin to function properly. The doctor is there and he realizes what's happening. So he removes the tubes and all the, stu the stuff around their face and they begin to breathe normally. They begin to breathe in a way that they haven't breathed in a long time. Now, what do you think their response would be? I think it would be overwhelming joy, gratitude, um, an in instant connection to their healer who 
has just changed their life. There's probably along right with that, a desire to get out of the hospital room and out of the hospital completely and to go and to live their life, see family, to make memories and to maybe connect with Jesus in a new way. But now, I think that's what we would all expect. That's the movie ending, right? But what if the person said, man, you know, I really was into that show and um, I really like how the doctors and nurses are just kind of getting all my stuff for me. Can I go back on the ventilator? And uh, can I just stay here? And I would like for, yeah, if the doctor could put that tube back down my throat, I would really... No one in their right mind would do that, right? You know what's interesting is the word for spirit is pneuma. And uh, my wife's a nurse and uh, she was telling me one day about a patient who had a pneumothorax. And I was like, you're gonna have to talk. Okay, well, I don't know what a pneumothorax is, okay. And uh, explained this to me like I'm five. And she's like, oh, they had a collapsed lung. And I did a little bit of research and, I, and in the medical community, the Greek or Latin word um, to describe, the Greek word to describe lung problems is pneuma. And so if you've heard of pneumonia, right? Pneuma, pneumonia, pneumonia, you struggle to breathe, right? I've had pneumonia um, a few times, so I understand that. But that same Greek word for air, wind, or breath is the same word used for spirit, and not just spirit generally, but the Holy Spirit. And I would like to submit to you that just as oxygen, physical oxygen is necessary for our physical life, the Holy Spirit is necessary for our spiritual life. It's, he's that important. And for someone to refuse the anointing or, or, the, the, or to pass by out of ignorance or apathy, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on, on their life, it would be the same way as somebody choosing to live tied down to the prison, if I can say it this way, a prison of a ventilator. And I, as I was preparing, I'm not one that gets into visions or anything, but I imagined um, rows upon rows of people that were laying in hospital beds, hooked up to ventilators, breathing the air and the stench of this world out of either pleasure or comfort or apathy or ignorance or what have you, and bypassing the real breath, the real life of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't wanna get into the weeds on whether those people are Christians or non-believers and all that, I don't know. Every illustration kind of breaks down at some point. But here's my simple challenge to you. Are you breathing the breath of the Holy Spirit? And a few years ago, um, my wife and I, we picked a word for the year and that was kind of trendy. I guess, and I felt, I don't wanna just do this because everybody else is doing it, but didn't wanna be upset with me. So I was like, okay, let's pick a, a word for the year. Actually, it was really beneficial. So we've started doing that. And a few years ago, I picked the word anointing. And uh, I wanted to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life. Um, sadly, um, I probably, um, let that slide. So um, as I was studying uh, this weekend, I felt um, that 
if this sermon was for no one else, it was for me. And maybe that's why I'm preaching today because I feel like I need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit on my life. I wanna breathe in his air, his, his breath, new life in a new and fresh way. And if you identify with that feeling today for whatever reason, I'm just gonna invite you to stand as the worship team comes. And uh, I'm just gonna pray a prayer that you can pray. Maybe you can say the same words, maybe make your own words up. But I'm gonna pray a prayer that um, God would just anoint me and anoint us as individuals because I believe that this is a personal response. A personal response is necessary to the work of Jesus Christ. So if we want collective revival, there needs to be a personal response. Let's stand for prayer. And I'm just gonna pray this out. And if this is your desire, and if you pray this prayer, I would love for you to tell someone. Um, we don't have an official way for you to tell someone today, maybe at the next steps wall. We don't have like a text number or anything like that signed, uh, set up or a card. But maybe you tell a family member, maybe you tell a life group leader, maybe you tell a spouse or whatever. But um, if you pray this prayer, um, don't keep it a secret because I believe that if we go after the Holy Spirit as individuals and we come together collectively and say, this is what we're about, then I believe revival will come. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for the people that are gathered in this room and I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I confess that too many times I, either out of um, blind spots or ignorance or what have you, I tend to default to my own thinking and my own ways. Lord, I confess that this morning. Lord, if there's anyone else here who has tried to do life without you, without the power of your spirit, I pray that they would run to you. You're our high priest and you say to boldly approach. Lord, I pray that they would not buy any lies of the enemy that would deter them. Maybe, that, that maybe they are told they're not good enough or they've done too much and God could never accept them. Lord, push all of that aside. It's just not true. God, you welcome us in and you say that you hear the prayers of those who are repentant. And God, I pray that if there's anything that we need to do as a, as a people to repent, show us what that looks like. Lord, I ask for your anointing and your fresh outpouring of your spirit on, our, on us as individuals, as a church. Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. May we not live another second in our own strength. Lord, may this be a daily pursuit. Lord, help us not to get confused by whether there be emotion one day or, or emotion the next or not the next. Lord, help us to rest in your promise that your spirit is with us. You are in us and you have empowered us to go and make a difference, not just in this life, but for eternity. I thank you for that. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, just tell someone. Um, I'll just remind you too, that if you did sign up for Next Steps, we already mentioned this, but it's not today. Um, we had to cancel it again. Maybe Pastor Keith will be back to teach it next week. So if that's you, come back next week at four o'clock. Thank you for your attention. Have a great rest of the day. <clears throat>